Few Good Men with Murray Jones. Sponsored by Help Enterprises, a social enterprise helping people with disabilities lead fulfilling and independent lives. Hi, I'm Murray Jones. This is A Few Good Men, the podcast that brings together men who are raising children with disabilities and offers them a safe place to share their stories, struggles and triumphs. This is where men should really talk more to each other. And our world changed forever that day. And it's never been the same since. My journey as a father to a child with a disability has been challenging, but it has also given me strength and resilience that I never knew I had. I realised how important it is to have a support system and how lonely it is without one. I was some burnout. Everyone has a plan for the future, but whether it goes that way is another thing. Told you I wasn't going to cry today, mate. <laughs> Everyone has the ability to have a ripple effect, have a ripple effect have a ripple. in whatever way they choose to. This podcast aims to understand some of the very difficult and unexpected journeys that many men have experienced when raising children with a disability and the way that has altered the course of their lives. I've done the job, the loving husband and the father and all that sort of stuff, but what about me? How do I relearn who I am? The immense challenges, the lonely roads, and of course, the rewards that can be discovered along the way. Make the most out of what you've got. They are your kids. Look after them. Do the best you can. I don't think Iris have ever bothered with the negatives of anything. If we're having a bad day, well, tomorrow's another day. My hope is this podcast finds its voice in the world and enables men in similar situations to share their stories and help each other navigate the unknown roads ahead. A Few Good Men with Murray Jones. Sharing stories of the unexpected journeys men have experienced when raising children with disabilities that need lifelong support. A few good men. How do we find the strength to support our children when facing our own battles with mental health? John Johnson is a father whose love for his daughter Georgia led him through uncharted territories in parenting and self-discovery. A former shift worker for an Australian airline, John's life took a profound turn when his daughter Georgia was diagnosed with autism. Retired now, John recalls the early days, the search for answers, the acceptance of George's condition and the emotional battles he fought, the daily challenges of being a constant pillar of support for Georgia while coping with his own mental health struggles. John's story is not just about resilience, it's about vulnerability, understanding and most importantly, opening up about our own well-being for the sake of ourselves and our loved ones. John, thanks for being with us today on A Few Good Men. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. You're a father of two daughters? Yes, my eldest daughter was born in 1993. Yeah. And a year and a half later, we had Georgia, which was a totally different experience. How was that? Because we'd already had Laura, who was a normal, regular child. When Georgia came along, we immediately almost noticed some big differences. From the beginning, we thought, oh, she's not smiling, uh, you know. All babies smile occasionally, don't they? She never smiled. And changing the nappy on her change table, she would look past us, not make any eye contact. So initially we just put this down to perhaps being a reserved personality. However, as time so went on... So she's not smiling? She's not just no. sort of expressionless? Well, most babies you can tickle them. Tickle them, they get a bit of a giggle. And you yeah. get a smile at least or a little yeah. laugh. Or, yeah. None of that worked on Georgia, and uh, we couldn't really get much eye contact from her. Uh, she couldn't, she wouldn't look directly at you, and if she did, it was only momentarily, and her eyes would look away. Um, something else. So that's probably the first 
big differences that we noticed. But with a baby, um, you know, you only expect um, little things really in, in a child that young. So for the first year, we really didn't worry too much, although we knew she was different in some way. Yeah. When we really started to worry, though, was when, I guess at the age of about 12 to 14 months, when they start to develop language, there was no language. She just wouldn't speak. And not only that, but she would cry a lot, sometimes cry for an hour. I can remember my wife saying to me one day, I wish, I wish that Georgia would just stop crying. And the my wife was a very good mother, still is a good mother, and anything that she tried to stop her from crying didn't really work. Having Laura uh, on the 18 months prior, you've, got right. to, you've kind of got it. We had somewhere. We had What's going on? If, yeah. yeah. It was relative. Um, yeah. If she did develop a word and say a word, I can remember she started saying her sister's name for a couple of days, and then yeah. it just vanished back to nothing. No mum or dad? Uh, no. We started taking her to a few different doctors. First of all, I went to my GP. He said, look, I I really don't think it would be autism. It's just so rare and your other child is so normal. Eventually, we were referred to a man at Tawong who specialised in diagnosing autism. So how old is she at this stage? Between 14 and 15 months. Yeah. And he said, there are a few signs here that you do see typically in autistic children one thing that Georgia used to do was she used to roll her eyes around her eye socket, like as if she was getting some stimulation from doing that, or focusing both eyes to the centre of her face, and she seemed to enjoy doing it. So he said that can be typically autistic, and I know, you know, I knew then that she did that quite regularly, and she did it there in the doctor's surgery. Then I really did start to worry. But he wouldn't give us a positive diagnosis either. So eventually uh, we were referred to a clinical psychologist in Wickham Terrace. Yeah. And then she delivered, I wasn't with my wife at the time, Uh, she delivered my wife with the devastating news that she was autistic on the spectrum from moderate to severe. Did you have any idea what autism was? I started researching around that time on the internet. So, yeah, she's 27. 27 years ago. It wasn't as widely. No, and there were a few different opinions. There were quite a few different opinions. Yeah, Yeah, and there were a few other things suggested to us that we should try for her to take. One was a supplement, which it was hard to get, and we had to (laughs) go down to the Brisbane Wharf to get a delivery of this supplement. What was the supplement? I can't remember the name of it. But you got it, didn't do any good? No, it was like a a vitamin, something like that. It was supposed to be good for the gut. And at that time, there were a lot of theories about autism and a lot of them were saying that it had a lot to do with the gut. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but we tried that and that was uh, didn't make any difference. I, I can relate to this. You've, you've just been hit with the diagnosis of autism. No idea what it is. Mm. Yeah, it's like you got hit by the Mack truck. Yes. They go, hey, why don't you go and get the, you know, have a crack at this. Or, you know, you say go to the wharf, you get the, you know, you try anything. Yes. So what, what else did you do? Well, my wife and I attended a meeting at Autism Queensland up to that point. We felt quite lonely with this because, well, you know, it's yeah. not like your friend up the street or no. on the other side of town has no, got a child with autism. No, um, no. So a lot of people uh, didn't really know what it was. So I thought, well, I have to educate myself first. So I dived into the internet and 
Which wasn't as good then as it is now. No, anyway. no. And got a lot of information. But I think, too, at the time I was kind of looking for something to blame. Mm. And I got to the point I thought, well, there's no point in doing this. She, she's autistic. I've got to accept that. And now it's going to be a passage of managing what she has. How long did that take to go from that blame? You know, don't know how this could have happened all that stuff, which is pretty emotional place to be, you know, to then that accepting that, oh, well, George's got autism and we're just going to have to deal with it. Did, did that take long for you? No, but you see, before she was diagnosed, it was in the back of our minds before perhaps it, six months. Right, that something's going on. Yeah, and the, and that was, autism was probably the front runner, <laughs> mm. if I can put it that way. So I felt that I was dealing with it before she was diagnosed, actually. I don't know with my wife, I haven't ever really asked her that, but for me, I was already dealing with it. And I think that once I knew what it was and that she was diagnosed, uh, I don't think it took very long, perhaps two months. Yeah, okay, yeah. My wife at the time then was looking for supports. Yeah. And we found that through Autism Queensland and we found a, a therapist that would come to the house and do sessions with Georgia. Was that ABA or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was big back then. I don't, I don't hear about it much now, that rote learning, that applied behaviour analysis. Yeah, we had a young lady come with Fred for 30 hours a week or something for ages. I don't know if it did any good or not, but it had to go for you. The same as you, I think. Yeah. We don't, you don't really know, do you? Um, you don't know. They say early intervention is good. I'm not a doctor. I only know mm. what I've experienced, really, mm. as a father of a child with severe autism. Mm. But I suspect that early intervention is probably very beneficial for those that are on the lighter end of the spectrum. But for those that are well into the spectrum, I don't think so, personally. I agree. I think in that sort of mild end of the spectrum, there are you know, people who sort of go on and live fairly normal lives. So you're right. But as a father, you open the door to this world of autism and that you've never even heard about. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. It is scary. Uh, as I was saying, it's um, it's a lonely experience, really. It is. Yeah. It is. And as a bloke, you can't fix it. No. You no. Can't, well, it must be something I can do yeah. to get to fix it, you know. Uh, it's all to do with, with managing, and that's been throughout George's life. That's been um, quite demanding, really. It's been a huge task, mostly for my wife. Georgia being a girl, she gravitates to Sue. In fact, in, I, I think I'd be pretty right in saying that she's just about attached to her at the hip. Even now? When I'm at home with Georgia, I mean, she knows that she's safe and I'm there, but she's always asking about mum, where's mum? When will she be appearing? And <laughs> Mm. Last year we had an experience where my wife had to have uh, open heart surgery. Oh, uh, she had to have a um, heart valve repaired and it meant a stay in hospital. And uh, I thought, oh, how am I going to get through this? <laughs> um, just uh, managing Georgia at home. My daughter came down from Warwick, took time off work to help me. But uh, yes, that was... Um, quite demanding that couple of weeks but we got through it you got through it we got through it that connection to her mum was that from an early age i'd say so yeah Yeah. how'd that make you feel did you feel a bit isolated or feel like the feel like the spare wheel i felt uh, like i like i was getting it easy actually did you yeah i (laughs) took take my hat off to my wife i mean she put a lot of hard work in there and it was just i thought it was natural that georgia would gravitate to her i felt like the support in the background sort of thing we did quite a few things in those years uh 
like we built a home and... Um, still raising law, eh? Still oh, raising yeah. law. We didn't travel very much. Uh, well, we did have a young family, so the best holidays were like beach holidays. Yeah, yeah. They always are, I reckon. Yeah. So um, we take Georgia to the beach and she didn't like getting too close to the water. She'd have to go back to where the dunes were. Yeah. One thing she liked to do was pick up a spoonful of sand and watch the sand fall through her hands. So, again, autistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she verbal now at all? A little bit. Improved? It's hard to remember, but my recollection was that the language did develop, but very, very slowly over years, maybe five years. When she was a toddler, she would make these sounds that it actually sounded like she was speaking a foreign language. Obviously, it's her brain trying to process the language or developing that skill, but it wasn't working. And what was coming out, it was unintelligible. Uh, if I could say it was a mixture of speaking, say, Russian and Japanese, that would give you an idea of what it was. You just couldn't make anything out of it. Were you getting speech therapists who were going down all that, the track of yes. therapy therapy? Yes, yeah. we went to therapy at a centre at Woolawan. Uh, I can remember taking her there in the afternoons and I'd done an early shift yeah. from four o'clock till noon yeah. and they knew that I was tired by the time I got there at say two o'clock so they used to stick me in a side room and turn all the lights out. And then you'd have a little nap while oh, yeah. happy days. It, it only hour. seemed like two minutes I'd be awake and I'd be up again but uh, and they'd do the session with Georgia outside and there were a few like that but my memory at that time is actually quite foggy. I can remember things further back much more clearly but there's just so much going on with Georgia Mm. Um, that um, yeah, it's all a bit sort of jumbly. So you both continued so to work? We both did shift work. My wife was a flight attendant, former ANSET Airlines. Oh, okay, yeah. And I was working also for Qantas as a shift worker and we used to juggle our shifts. Were you that stage or during the journey, have you kind of been conscious of keeping time for yourself as well? Because I think there is that danger of kind of yeah losing your own identity along the way. Have you, have you thought that at all? Well... Look, while we were working or while I was working up to my late 50s, being a shift worker, you can't develop regular interests. Even your regular shift worker that doesn't have any family complications, it's difficult for them to develop a regular Because you don't know when your shifts are going to be? No. I played touch football while I was at work. That kind of finished by the time we'd had Georgia and I really didn't do anything because it was just so full on from the time she was born yeah. until she went to school and then that was another uh, another chapter yeah. of her development. Eventually we, um, well, we did try to put Georgia through the mainstream schooling. Yeah, uh, that go? Through Cath Ed. She attended a Catholic primary school. The principal assured me it was all fine. He knew about autism and was filled with confidence and he said, no, it'll it'll be okay. Well, um, what happened? I think he got... <laughs> What happened? A bit of a rude shock as time went on, and um, this is just an example, but mm. perhaps I was doing a late shift, which usually was from, say, 1pm to 9pm. I'd take the girls, they went to the same school. At about 10 o'clock, I'd get a call from the uh, receptionist there, and she'd say, oh, John, um, Georgia um, is playing up, and we just wondered if you could drop in and see if you could address her. So I'd sort of roll my eyes and <laughs> into the car, and I'd... It wasn't that far. No, no. Ten no. minutes away. Yeah, yeah. And I'd get there and Georgia would be in the classroom, but she wouldn't comply with any requests from the teacher. So I'd have to sit there behind her. She knew I was there and that I was the boss sort of thing. 
Mm. So she would calm down, but of course, as soon as I left, half an hour later, I think it was back on for young and old. Eventually, we realised it just wasn't appropriate to have her there. The principal was very good. He was a very good man. and I I think the truth of it was that he hadn't seen someone with autism that far into the spectrum. What's the saying? If you've seen one person with autism, then you've seen one person with autism. It's so different. I'm sure he had the best intent. That's right. So she's struggling with that you know you, you said it's you know pretty lonely road i mean how are you managing with that with the, all this stuff going on and you've just come off a big shift you're trying to get some sleep you know emotional roller coaster yeah um and started to affect my mental health really you know yeah because being on shift work i mean you're starved for sleep yeah, yeah. anyway good sleep that is yeah um, I can't imagine on. how your body clock must be all over the place, you know, you do anyway. Well, you have to survive on you know, sleeping tablets sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's just no other way. I mean, if you know you've got to get up at 4 o'clock for a shift and you're up at 10 o'clock dealing with a situation, um, yeah, it's not very healthy, but that was the reality. Of- so you, you felt that your mental health was getting a bit mm. fragile? Yeah, I was getting a bit jaded. And, of course, there's always this uncertainty weighing on our minds about, well, what do we do now? Yep. So a cath ed were good. They came to us and they assigned one of their staff to our case and they said, don't worry, we will find the right fit for Georgia, Yeah, but it will have to be in the public system, in the state system, Yeah, because the state system have special units that are set up to handle disability. We eventually got her to a special unit primary school at Petrie Terrace. And that went all right? That went well. Yeah, really. Um, yeah. You know. John, you know, you talk about your mental health. Back then it was probably a bit more of a stigma around mental health and it mm. blokes, mm. you know, how you going, John? Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I'm good. Mm. You know, nothing mm. a couple of beers won't mm. fix, you know. Did you find there was a kind of a, um, I'm not sure how to describe it, you know, if Georgia was doing well, did you find that you were less stressed? I mean, was there a parallel there or a connection there? Or well, if you're there in the you? moment, it's better if she's doing well. Yeah. But weighing on my mind is always what's next, you know, what's what's down the track, and they call it anticipatory anxiety. Um, so is it an actual description? Is it? Yes. Uh, Where you haven't heard uh, that you get anxiety about worrying about what's in the future? Yeah. And that was attacking me constantly, really. Well, it became pretty serious. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I'd say so. I had to seek professional help. No shame in that, mate. No. Uh, I think going to work actually. Uh, for a lot of the time there was good for me because uh, well, it took me out of the situation. Yeah. Did you like your work? Did you like what you did? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Um, apart, from the, apart from the crazy hours? Yeah. Yeah, apart from the crazy hours, there was some um, good, good bunch com- of people camaraderie there. there and I've formed some long-term friendships. Yeah. It was only in the later years. I, I think after the turning point really was after September 11 with the airlines. Everything became more stressful. The security was heightened. There were lots and lots of rules. It became a lot busier because there were, the queues were longer because the process of, of getting passengers onto a plane was longer. And the passengers were getting angrier and angrier. So you got all that going on at work, all the change. Mm. you got the stuff going on at home. Yeah. You're struggling a bit. Mm. How'd, you, oh, was, how'd you get through? You got I struggled some, through. I came how, out the how, other how, side, although I really, I really didn't... Um, it really didn't. Uh, the the mental struggle really didn't go away until I until I left the airlines. I was retired. it gone now? Do you reckon? 
are you still a bit strung out with the bad uh, no, George? No, or you, no, no, not really. Like, yeah. I think I manage pretty well now. Oh, that's good. Um, there's a lot of the pressures are off now, and Georgia is older. Yeah. Although there are still challenges there, we're much better at handling them. So I, um, I retired. My wife's she works at the Children's Hospital. She enjoys her work. Her career was a lot more promising than mine. So, and I really needed to to retire. So I did. Did you? You just yeah. you were just tired, worn out. I was. I was some um, burnout. Yeah. Burnout. Yeah. yeah. So well, it's good you were able to do that and say mm, okay and. It was and, the right uh, decision. Well, when I retired, it's now become a lot easier for us to manage Georgia because I'm there on call at any time to take yeah. Georgia anywhere. I'm the family Uber driver. So, I know that um, job. Yep. And there's no stress. Yeah, so it's all working well now. When you're you know, like really struggling, I mean, overall, how would you say friends and family have been supportive or...? Um, yes, I'd say. I'd say yeah. so. Um, look, friends don't... Some friends do talk to me about it, say, ongoing, mm. but some don't mention it at all. But I think they know the challenges that are there for us every day. Do you initiate any conversation about it? Not really. I yeah. I really wait for people to ask, and if if they ask, that's fine. And I I um, you tell explain them. it to them. Yeah, yeah. Have you formed any friendships with dads in a, in a similar um, situation? No, not not autism. But my family, my own family that I was born into, no stranger to disability because my late brother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis around the age of 50. He lived till he was 72. He couldn't walk for those 20 something mm, years. And then it was a sort of slow deterioration. He, mm. he could walk with a walking stick and then he got to the point where he couldn't walk at all. No, it's, yeah, it's tragic. Uh, yeah. And it was a bit of a leveler for me because I used to think, no, I haven't got it so bad. He's... He's really got a bad sort of thing. Mm. So I just think that you deal with the cards that you've got yeah. and make the most of it. I don't harbour any sort of ill feeling or bitterness about life in general or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just uh, the way things turn out. So, well, like John Lennon, famous quote, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Um, mm, yeah. Everyone has a plan for the future, but whether it goes that way is another thing. You're now feeling in a bit more comfortable place with where Georgia is and where you are? No, I'm a bit more comfortable now than where I was when I was working, when, when Georgia was younger. Yeah. In my own case, I just got to a point where I thought, no, I, I have to have some help, you know, and it was very beneficial. You know, the, the strain and the stress of having a child with disability, it is, you know, it's probably underestimated, but I'd love to pick up on that because it's really courageous, mate. The big hope is that A Few Good Men, the podcast really gathers momentum and people listen to it and the core target are obviously blokes like you and I who understand the journey, we've been on the journey or we're just starting on the journey. You know, people have said to me, um, what's, what, why are you, you know, why are you doing a few good men? You know, because it's not a monetary thing. What's your purpose? And I just think, you know what, if one bloke out there hears something from one of the guys that I'm talking to and, um, and it, um, um, some, you know, if somehow... Well, I can relate to it. Um, you know, it does a good thing, then... Yeah, then, that's right. Um, sorry. Yeah. That's, and that's the, um, yeah, that's kind of the purpose of it, really. So, communication so. Is, uh, is vital, isn't it, in everything. Um, if uh, people can uh, listen and hear somebody else's version of their own story, mm. it makes them feel less alone, I suppose. 
that's the sole purpose of this, you know, mm. for blokes to be able to listen to blokes on a similar journey and and hopefully get some inspiration or encouragement or an understanding that they're not alone, that there is hope. You know, you said mm. before, you know, starting to see there's a bit of a light at the you know the end of the tunnel. Whatever stage of the journey I'm, you know, that tunnel can look pretty daunting. Mm. I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, John, but it is such a big thing. I mean, I, I had to go and see a psychologist here for a while as well. There was a point there, it was a few years back, and, um, you know, I'm, I sort of tend to um, just go, yeah, no, I'm right, you know, I'm sort of pretty generally cheery, optimistic and glass half half full sort mm-hmm. of bloke, but um, anyway, and and sometimes you don't realise, anyway, just, you know, I had a, had a bloody, you know, full-on bloody breakdown, you know, it was just like on one day I just went mm-hmm. bang, you know. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, yeah, I couldn't... Uh... You know, I'm fine now, but I mean, you know, the point is that that, at that point, um, you know, and and it'd be the same for a lot of blokes on our journey, you know, that there's no shame in reaching out for help, that's for sure. But we're not, um, we're not always good at it. And I just, I just want to say again, I mean, like, well done. You know, you reached out and got some help. Not an easy thing to do. Well, I don't really know. um, I mean, I don't have any friends that have children with disabilities. Uh, like my own daughter, but I would imagine that a lot have taken that path anyway. If I've done it, there must be a couple of others that have yeah. done it and they probably don't talk about it. Yeah. Well, there, there certainly would be men out there who have, but there'd be some who go, oh, no, not for me, mate. I'm, mm. I don't need that. I'm all right. Well, yeah, that stiff upper lip or that stupid male stubbornness or, you know, ego, I don't know what it is. I just think um, if you are in need of... If you think you need you know, mental health, there's lots of um, resources now. I know that you can go to a GP now and they'll, they'll give you a referral for a medi mm. care or whatever it is, um, yeah, the, the government one. Um, it's for a series of Yeah, they, yeah they'll, pay, basically they'll pay for 10 sessions, yeah. you know, which is great. Certainly from my own experience, that was pretty helpful. So, yeah, I just think uh, it's a brave thing to do. Whether mm. If you thought you were brave or did you just, was it a point of desperation or what? Um. Yeah, or did your wife say of, what happened? A bit of the yeah. latter, I'd say. Um, you know, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably a bit predisposed to anxiety. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like we're all different, we're all made up differently. But um, I think I was probably a bit that way. You know, before anything came along. Yeah. Um, I had, uh, you know, I'd, I found it difficult to sleep sometimes. Um, but um, I, I looked at it purely from a clinical perspective and when you read what is available in modern medicine now and the results that they get from it, I thought, well, it's it's worth trying at least. Yeah, yeah, mad not to. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, it really did help. So, um, yeah, if, if there's uh, anyone out there listening to the podcast that is uh, considering, you know, those their situation, I'd say definitely. Definitely do it. Yeah. Did you know, did you sort of take the advice of your specialists? Yeah. And sometimes I think it's just that opportunity to just go, blah, you know, someone's going to listen to my stuff for an hour and I don't have to filter it. I don't, I can just go, blah, just getting stuff out and off your chest is so important. Mm. Did you find that? Yeah. And what I got back to was that a lot of things that I were to, uh, describe the response i'd get is oh well that that's usual that happens in your situation to just about everyone in your situation mm. just only you feel better already you do yeah you, you, uh, you lose that sense of loneliness you know or mm. that you might in some way be different yeah or weak or you know yeah, whatever whatever 
Yeah. I mean, I've got friends that they could fall asleep on a park bench in 30 seconds. Well, if it was me, I'd be up all night because Mm. (laughs) I just can't do that. Mm. But uh, some people are naturally more relaxed than others. But uh, yeah. you certainly know that you've been hit by a train when severe autism comes into your life. In my case, I just took the attitude, I'm, I'm up for whatever help I can get. And if there's something out there that's going to make it easier for me, well, I'm going to be on that train. Mm. You know? mm. Good on you, mate. Yep. That's the train. That's not a bad analogy, really. Picking the right train, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I feel I've, and say I've come out of the dark tunnel entirely, but I can see the light there. <laughs> it's starting to get lighter. Well, that's good, mate. Yeah. That's really good. I suppose one of the things, um, you know, I've been presented here with a beautiful coffee cup with some of Georgia's art. Tell us about that. How did that start? Georgia does have a flair for art, and we employ a professional artist to come each Friday to our house. She does sessions with Georgia. Of course, they don't always work out because it relies on Georgia being cooperative. Yeah, yeah. Not always. She's not always cooperative, but for the most part she is, and she encourages her to make these drawings. And So where did that start? Are you artistic? Uh, no, I think that um, genetically that's on my wife's side of the family. I'm more the music, the musician, but the art, that's not me. That's definitely... My wife's side of the family, there's genes that point back to her father's family in Holland and there are artists in that group of people. You're into music, eh? Well, I've been, um, you might say, semi-professional folk singer. Oh, have you? Since I left school. I was in a band at school. When I left, I was very focused on folk music and I'm certainly someone that's stuck in the 70s when it comes to uh, what I prefer to listen to. Oh, you and me both. I love the 60s stuff. But 60s, yeah. yes. That's yeah. me too. Um, Pretty hard to beat. Yeah. So you're still playing a band or did you keep well, that interest up as you know, Yeah, as I, you... well, I kept going with it but sort of always took a back seat to work. One of my colleagues at the airlines, he's quite talented and we got together and we formed a duo. Our two voices were good together, harmonising. So we did a lot of uh, little gigs. One special one is the Lord Mayor's Seniors Gala they have every year in about uh, September at the City Hall. So we used to go along and audition for that. Did you go all right? Yeah, we've been yeah. in it a couple of times. Have you? Uh, it's not like a competition where they have a winner. It's a concert or a variety performance of all different kinds of acts. And no, we got a lot of response, positive response from that. We did music like Simon and Garfunkel. I just had Simon and Garfunkel on on the, on the way here. Um, yeah. Have you written any of your own stuff? Or? Uh, no, we're not songwriters. Okay. <laughs> Well, any time that I ever attempted it, it ended up in the garbage bin. So, yeah. uh, no, I, I thought what other people did was a lot better than what I could do. So. I thought you might have drawn on some of the material from, you know, your own life experiences. And- yes, well, I suppose I could write some poems and uh, develop them into songs, just not motivated. <laughs> not, not, no, yeah, but it sounds like it's been, I mean, well, obviously it's been a fantastic interest for you and yeah, giving you has, a balance yeah. and put a bit of balance in your life. It's a bit of an escape. Yeah, that's such an important thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. For at any time, but particularly when it, you know, the pressure's on. And I'm glad to hear that it sounds like you feel like the pressure's off a bit now, you know, you're a bit more relaxed. Can I ask, you know, what's next? You know, the big elephant in the room for all of us, I suppose. So we're getting older. What's the future hold when we're pushing up daisies? Mm, yeah, it's a well, bit of a morbid thought, but we're all, it's something. It's reassuring uh, to know that NDIS is there. Where do you see Georgia, in a, in a sills or support? I think eventually in supported accommodation. She'll always need 24-hour presence. 
just to backtrack a bit, so she got any sort of life skills? She cooks and can she sort of look after herself to a certain degree or not? Yes, yeah. uh, very basic things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, she can make her cereal in the morning. Yeah. She might get some things wrong sometimes and you might have to give her a helping hand. Is she all right in the bathroom by herself? Can she look after yes. herself? Yeah. yeah, she can. She likes to have three showers a day. So. <laughs> I wait for the water bill to come that's, in. That's, hold my that's just normal <laughs> behaviour, mate, for women, I think. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. Yeah, but oh, it's reassuring to know that that's now there. And, of course, her sister will be there for you know support ongoing keep an eye on her and manage her affairs. You've sort of spoken about that, that she would? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's reassuring. She's very keen to be involved. How was their relationship over the years? When they were young, they'd tell each other off like normal sisters at the age of seven or eight. Yeah. But as time went on, Laura began to realise that Georgia was different. Yeah. We were talking with Laura one day, probably early teens, probing her for information on how her friends react when they come to visit Laura. How do they react to Georgia? Mm. And she said, my friends think that she's cute. She said, but they don't, they don't really understand. I thought, yeah, it's, you know, and they're not there all the time. No, no. But they uh, love and respect each other in their own way. Which is great. Well, I suppose the fact that Laura's sort of put her hand up and said, I'll be involved mm. in George's life, you know, when you're not here, mm. that's big. It's reassuring. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't always happen, mate, that's for sure, you know. No. Do you think overall having George has been a blessing for you? Do you think you've changed or grown in any way? Do you ever think about that? Certainly you're more conscious of people that have dis- disabled children and people that have disability whether they're children or adults. Yeah. You certainly do. Well, I have anyway. I've developed more empathy. Yeah. Admiration for my wife, who I think has really carried a huge load, and my late mother, who gave us a lot of support, and my wife's late father. They were very um, supportive. Yeah. Developed a lot of empathy. A lot of gratitude too, by the sound of it. Uh, a lot of appreciation. Mm. And certainly I don't take anything for granted in that sphere. I think too, uh, you know, you take the little things in life and they become more pleasurable. Like I love the beach, I love going to the beach and just a walk on the beach to me is a real pleasure. Now I just think that the little things, they're a lot more tasty, if I can put it that way. Yeah. It's like being on a diet and you enjoy your food a lot more. <laughs> that's right, you do too, you do too. That's, that's lovely, mate. You know, you've obviously done something right in terms of raising your two girls, you know. What would you say to the dads out there who have just got a diagnosis and they're at the start of the track? Yeah, it's uh, a bit difficult because like autism itself, they're all different. They're all at a different start of the spectrum. But I suppose in general, I, I just say stick with it. You know, there were times where I had a moment to have a cup of tea and just close my eyes and just relax and maybe just listen to music and I'd think, oh, I'm totally through with this, you know. (laughs) But you'd have your rest and you'd get up and you'd dust off and carry on. So what I would say to them is stiff up a lip and carry on. Mm. (laughs) For me, it it was duty. My father was in the army. I think I got a sense of duty from from him. My mother was a nurse and I think I got empathy from her and I think that's two ingredients that you really need to have or to strive for because I think raising a child with a disability is more, it's more than just raising a child. It's really like a vocation and you you don't 
sort of describe it like this is where I am and I'll be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel because with autism, it really doesn't happen that way. It's ongoing. So you just have to apply yourself as best you can day in, day out and recognise that in the end, it'll all be okay. Mm. That's good advice, man. I think that that sense of duty and empathy, courage, Mm. I think from what you've said, you know, you've been really courageous. You know, you've had your moments and Thank you. it's been tough, but well done on being a great dad and a great man and doing such a wonderful job raising your, your daughter. Thanks very much. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, John. You're a good, good man. Thank Cheers. you. What an incredibly important conversation with John Johnson. This chat with John highlights the reason Few Good Men podcasts exist, to share our stories, to dive deep, to support each other and realise we're not alone. And it's okay to seek help if we need it. If this story tugged at your heartstrings as well, please share this episode. We're here to break barriers and create understanding one story at a time. Make sure to subscribe if you can or leave us a review. Your support helps us continue to bring these crucial conversations to a wider audience. Thanks again to our sponsor for their support of this podcast. Help Enterprises are a social enterprise helping people with disabilities lead fulfilling and independent lives. Next time on A Few Good Men... Nathan Ezard shares the trials and triumphs of nurturing a family, especially after the cameras have gone and the headlines have faded. We got a phone call to say he's disappeared, he's missing in bushland. Be on standby while the rescue unfolds. I'm Murray Jones. Thanks for joining us on A Few Good Men. To keep the conversation going, please connect with us on our website. You'll find resources, stories from fellow fathers and caregivers, and ways to interact with our growing community. Visit afewgoodmen.com.au A Few Good Men, sponsored by Help Enterprises, a social enterprise helping people with disabilities lead fulfilling and independent lives. A Few Good Men is a Welcome Change Media production.